Father God, you are good. And thank you. Thank you for gathering us this morning to worship. For even this is an expression of your goodness toward us. Lord, grant us eyes, I pray, to, to see, hearts to believe your goodness. Even when following Christ is difficult and often even hard. We confess our short-sightedness in thinking that you want our happiness and, and not our holiness. You confess, we confess that most often we prefer ease and comfort of our self-willed lives instead of the commitment and the cross-bearing that you've called us to in following Christ. Help us, I pray, Lord, to believe that your ways and your word are better. Though they may be difficult, though they may cause us to weep and struggle, you're still good. And that you deserve praise and adoration. Father, I pray that you will help us this morning, that we might bend our hearts and our minds to submit to your word and not stand over it, that we will be under your word and not over it, that we will hear what you have to say to us, and that we will, with humble hearts, fearing you and loving you, trust that no matter what our lives may bring and what difficulty and hardship may come, that we can say with our lips and with our hearts that you are good. We ask, Father, that you'll do these things for your namesake. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we left Moses and Aaron in a, a wonderful celebration of faith and worship. God's people were exalting in their God who would deliver them after they had received the message from Moses and Aaron that God had heard their cries and that God was going to deliver his people. Notice, if you will, with me at the end of chapter 4, verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a wonderful response. The Lord was working in the midst of his people. God was doing amazing things. God had sent Moses and Aaron to be there and to communicate this. Think back, if you will, and don't forget that Moses had an incredible affection for the Hebrews. That's what ended up landing him in Midian. He, he, he longed for the deliverance of his people, the Jews, the Hebrews. And so what more wonderful of a feeling it must have been as he was the one who came and declared this with Aaron and then they, with exuberant hearts, began to worship God. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the father that's just basking in the wonderful joy of his children as they are acknowledging the blessings of the Lord in their life. Isn't it good? Many of you have, are parents that have children that um, have been blessed by the Lord in so many ways. And you get to just enjoy and see that. And what a, what, there's nothing better, there's nothing more wonderful than seeing how the Lord is, is accomplishing that. Moses, as he's seeing God's people now rejoicing and exalting in the deliverance of that God's going to bring to them, and they're bowing here in the sands of Egypt and worshiping their God. What are the what a high point? What an amazing joy. Chapter five, verse one. Notice the transition that our text gives us. Chapter five, verse one. Afterward, after this glorious, wonderful, joyous celebration of worship and faith, afterward, Moses and Aaron went 
and said to Pharaoh, You see, there's only one thing left to do now with this excitement and with this joy that Moses and Aaron had. Now, now let's, this, this, this thing is such a wonderful, glorious thing. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's go ahead and go and let Pharaoh know, in, let, let Pharaoh know what, what's happening and let Pharaoh know that God's going to deliver his people. And um, we can go ahead and let him know this information. And then, who knows, by, by, by lunchtime tomorrow, we may be packed up and ready to head out of here. Things will be good. We just have to inform Pharaoh of what's going to happen, and everything else will be great. But what we find is that in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Afterward, Pharaoh, uh, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And what we find and what we know, imagine this, Genesis 1-1 through Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. If there's one thing we learn from that portion of Scripture, and that is everything from Genesis 1-1 up to this chapter in our Bibles, and it is this, that when God speaks... It is often something that is unexpected. <laughs> nothing, nothing in our minds and in our thinking and in our way of understanding things happens like it does in our head when God speaks and does something. It's, it's so often, in Genesis 1-1 all the way through, none of that was expected. And humanity in Genesis 1 and in Exodus and earlier, uh, humanity's going on and God is speaking and interacting and there are things that are extraordinary that are happening that is not what God's people expect. So why should this be any different when Aaron and Moses go and speak to Pharaoh and say, Thus saith the Lord, we need to acknowledge that this is going to be a different understanding. A different The, the, the celebration that once was in chapter 4 verse 31 has now taken a turn. God speaks and his message goes forth. And this message goes forth specifically to the most powerful man on earth at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And I want to make a, a few notes of what this message consists of, if you will. Let's look at the message, this word from God that Aaron and Moses gave to Pharaoh. First, it is an authoritative word. There's a re- re- resolute authority that's, that's displayed by this message that Aaron and Moses give to Pharaoh. They speak with this resolute authority by saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. There's no, there's no um, stuttering. There's no timidity. There's no shyness. They're speaking with power and conviction. They're convinced that this is what God has to say to Pharaoh And they speak it very clearly and with all authority. Thus saith the Lord. This is the first time in our Bible of over 400 occurrences of this phrase where the men of God have stood in incredible opposition and said, Thus says the Lord. This is an amazing phrase, a theme that goes throughout the rest of our Bible as God speaks and accomplishes wonderful things. This is the first time that we find the men of God, in this case, Moses and Aaron, saying this phrase. And they speak it with authority and power. Second thing I want you to note is who is demanding this message? In this message, the Lord gives identification to himself of who he is for Pharaoh to know. And notice this identification. Thus says the Lord, this is the I am God that revealed himself to Moses during a burning bush earlier in chapters 3 and 4. But he goes on and says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. In Pharaoh's mind, he's thinking this is the, this is the God of the slaves, the God of the street people, the God of the brickmakers. These are the people that are worthless in Pharaoh's eyes. And the, the Lord, Yahweh, the eternal God, the infinite God, the creator of all that is, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God, the everywhere present God, the Lord, this one that's being spoken of that says, thus saith the Lord, this one who, who is and who will be and who always will be and always has been. He's saying, I'm identifying myself with these brickmakers, 
with these slaves that you consider slaves, Pharaoh. I'm identifying myself with the lowly. And in Pharaoh's eyes, the worthless. So the message is not only an authoritative message, but it's a message from the Lord, who is the God of all that is, and he is identifying himself as the God of Israel, the God of these slaves that Pharaoh possesses. Thirdly, I want you to notice about the message. This message is one of release. He says, let my people go. All of us who live through the 80s are doing everything we can to get that song out of our head so that we can rightly understand the text because it's ingrained in us. It's one of those tunes that's eternal and will never go away. But nonetheless, let my people go. The Lord had an aim and an end, and that was to deliver his people from bondage and slavery. And that was very clear in this message. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say all kinds of other things, but he said very clearly, this is my intent, and that is that I desire God, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people, and again he identifies himself with his people, let my people go to Pharaoh. It's a message of release. And finally, and I think most importantly, because I think this is the theme that ends up running through the rest of the book of chapter, or the rest of chapter 5, also through the rest of the book of Exodus, but in chapter 5, I'm going to hopefully show you that this is really the theme that keeps popping up throughout chapter 5, and it is this, that there's a reason why the Lord was speaking to Pharaoh through Aaron and Moses. It wasn't just about deliverance. It says here in our passage in verse 1, let my people go. Why? And he's giving the reason to Pharaoh that, my, that they, which is his people, may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. The point here is that God desires his people to worship him. God is ferociously interested in his people making worship a priority. Here is talking about holding a feast. Just a little bit later, we find in verse 3 that he speaks of the fact that they're going to go and have a sacrifice. Later in verse 8, he talks about they're crying out, let me go and make a, offer a sacrifice to our God. And then finally in verse 17, he speaks of the fact that they're idle. Pharaoh says, you're, you're idle, you're idle. And, and, and he says, you're saying you want to go have a sacrifice to the Lord, but really the issue is that you're idle. In other words... The point throughout chapter 5, I hope that you'll see, is that God is desiring for his people to worship him. That's the aim. In other words, God wants, God was not wanting just simply to deliver his people and free them from their slavery. No, the Lord was not delivering them simply to rescue them. God's aim has never been and will never be simply or merely emancipation, and that is to rescue us. The Lord's aim in his people's lives in chapter 5, and in our lives today, his most fervent interest and aim is adoration. And that is worship. And that is worship. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, let us look together and see God's interest in worship. And as God's word went out, and as he spoke his word in verse 1, we have a chain reaction of what takes place. It's like this, this thing just kind of falls out along the way, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's this wreck that just kind of happens um, along the road as we will. It goes down the road, and you see it just kind of falling apart as it goes. And what we see here, that verse 1 then was the catalyst for this chain reaction of response. And we're going to see this chain reaction of response in four points this morning as we look at our text together. So here's the four points, and it's the chain reaction of, of God's word coming to Pharaoh. What took place? This chain reaction is in four steps or four points, if you will. Notice with me, point number one, Pharaoh's disdain, verses 1 through 9. Pharaoh's disdain. Point number two, the taskmaster's demand. Point number two, the taskmaster's demand. This is verses 10 through 14. And then point number three, the foreman's defense, verses 15 through 21, the foreman's defense. And then point number four, and finally, Moses' dismay. Moses' dismay, verses 22 and 23. 
So the Pharaoh's disdain, the taskmaster's demand, the foreman's defense, and Moses' dismay. We're going to see this work out and go ahead and tell you now, Pharaoh's response is the most critical. And so we're going to spend more time there than we will in the other three. Because Pharaoh is really the key to everything else that falls out. So notice with me, if you will, as we consider um, this, this Egyptian Pharaoh, probably the most powerful man on the earth during this day, and he's responding to the eternal, everlasting God who says, Thus saith the Lord, do this or else. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a very demanding, forthright message to this one who has all power. And the response of Pharaoh is one of disdain. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 2. But is the beginning word there in verse 2. There's a transition here. What, what's the response of Pharaoh? But Pharaoh said, in contrast to this message, in contrast to this command that God had given to him through Moses and Aaron, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? And he uses the name that is in the message there, if you see that there. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. None of us here this morning believes that this was an intellectual problem. (laughs) When we read this passage, it's obvious that the issue is not intelligence. The issue is not that he was unaware of the deities and gods of those who were around him. In fact, one one of the first and oldest references to Yahweh that we have outside of our scriptures is in an Egyptian temple of that time, of that day and age. And so a reference to our God in an Egyptian temple, one of the, one of the first and oldest references to our God outside of our Bible is there in Egypt in one of the temples there. And so the likelihood that Pharaoh did not know intellectually about this one who was the God of the Hebrews is unlikely. More than likely, he knew about this God. It was not an intellectual problem. No, the issue that was before Pharaoh is one of submission, not intelligence. The question that was really the the question that, that Pharaoh really had was one of was one of whether he was going to submit to this one that was calling upon him, that was demanding of him to let these slaves go. The issue was one of Pharaoh's pride. Pharaoh showed disdain and contempt toward the God of the Hebrews. Pharaoh thought that he could treat the God of the Hebrews like he treated the Hebrews. (laughs) Pharaoh believed that he would be just as successful and powerful and okay if he treated the God who identified himself with his slaves as he treated his slaves. And we know he treated them with harshness and with difficulty. Pharaoh refused to allow his own self-interest, his own way of doing things, his own self-willed life to be altered by this God who is demanding something of them. So we see here in verses 3 through 5, if you will. Then they said, meaning Aaron and and, uh, Moses. That's the they there in verse 3. Then Aaron and Moses said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Lest... He fall upon us, and that understanding of us isn't just the Hebrews, but also the Egyptians, unless this God who Moses and Aaron understood that was the God of both them, the Hebrews, and he was the one who was Lord over the Egyptians. He says, unless this one fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Verse 4, but the king of Egypt, which is the Pharaoh, said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh had an interest, a vested interest in keeping these slaves. There was no need for him to bow to the whims and wishes of this deity of the slaves. 
We can easily set ourselves apart from such obstinance. And yet, Pharaoh's defiance here is the defiance of every man. Every person, secular, unregenerate, asks this question, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Isn't that the question that every man asks? Even those of you here this morning who have placed your faith in Christ, there are areas in your life that you may be just like Pharaoh in his heart here saying, who is the Lord that he can have that part of my life? That I should obey his voice in that area of my life. Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I, do, I will not let Israel go. Is there something, brothers and sisters, in your own heart that you're saying, you know what? He is the Lord, but that area of my life I will never let go. I'm going to keep that area, that section, that portion of my life in my control, in my self-interest, in my understanding and self-will way of doing things. I'm not going to let them go. The Lord, brothers and sisters, is either Lord or he isn't. And when we call him Lord, it means we're to obey him. That he has the right and the authority over every area of our life. We're not convinced that he will be good in those areas, over every area of our life. We're convinced that we need to hold on to certain things in our life and consider them treasured. Because if we hand them over to the Lord, he will take them from us. And he will not be good to us in that. The thing I hope you see in this passage that though the Hebrews' lives become very, very difficult, God is unwavering in his goodness. Their difficult lives could so easily cause them to assume that God was being evil and that God was wronging them and that God was taking something from them that they desperately needed. And what we find in this passage, as we look at all of chapter 5, is that God is good. And God is good throughout this passage as their lives become more and more difficult. We find that Pharaoh not only wanted to speak this disdain and this opposition to God, he is like every other human, every other man, every other person in all of the earth, they, they, they do not, we do not stop ever with simply speaking opposition to God. We're going to act upon it. And so Pharaoh, for fear that his authority and power could be questioned by these two men, Aaron and Moses, that there could be this questioning of his authority. He says, not only am I going to oppose this God that you bring to before me and sit and demand of me, but I'm also going to act in such ways as to oppose him. So if you would, notice in verses 6 through 9, that same day, he doesn't wait. No, there, there's, a, there's an affront to Moses, or excuse me, to Pharaoh's authority and his power and his, and his interest. And so Pharaoh is quick. Pharaoh is steadfast. He's, he's, he's going to move quickly to show Moses and Aaron and all of those who are around his kingdom that he is the one that is in charge. And so it says in verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. And you shall, be, you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. For they are idle. Therefore, they cry. And this is Pharaoh's assessment. He says, the reason that they're wanting to, that they're using the excuse, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God, and Pharaoh says, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that they're idle. A couple of things I want you to notice in this passage. Verse 6 speaks of two groups of leaders that we're going to see throughout the rest of the text. The first are the taskmasters. Other 
translations use the phrase uh, slave masters. Others say overseers. These were the Egyptian leaders of the people. And they were the ones who would receive the orders and the work orders from, the, um, from Pharaoh and the other Egyptians in hierarchy. And these taskmasters would be their Egyptian in, 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 um, in their uh, in, in where their, their people group. And they are responsible or accountable to the Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people. But on the other hand, we see here in verse 6 that when Pharaoh commanded, he commanded not only to the taskmasters of the people, but also to their foremen. These foremen were actually Hebrews. And these were the leaders of the Hebrews that would receive the work orders from the taskmasters that came from the Egyptians, and that the Hebrews then would translate the message in the work order and make sure that the work was done. And so the foremen were receiving orders from the taskmasters, the taskmasters receiving orders from the Egyptians. Do you see the, the obvious tension that was, was um, in the midst of, this, of this, uh, this group of leadership here? The primary interest, perspective interest for the taskmasters was the Egyptians and the Pharaoh to make sure he, they kept them happy. What was the responsibility of the foreman? to make sure that they kept the workers going and kept them happy and kept them going, which is the Hebrews, each of which one was Egyptian, the taskmasters, the other, the foremen were Hebrews, and they were, and where was the, where was the rub? Where's the greatest point of tension? It's the transition between the taskmasters and the foremen, right? Because both of these have interests that are divided and they're trying to work together and accomplish what needs to be done. And so Pharaoh, when he goes to these taskmasters and he goes to these foremen, He commands them, it says, that they are to no longer have straw to build their bricks, but they are to continue the quota, the amount that they're supposed to continue to have. Keep that tension in mind, because as we go through, that will become important. And I also want you to note as well, as I've already mentioned in verse 8, that this sacrificing to their God was clearly the the primary emphasis that Pharaoh had in his mind for their excuse for not wanting to do work. I mean, Pharaoh didn't mention all kinds of other things. He mentioned primarily the primary excuse that Pharaoh had in his mind, obviously the one that stuck from the word, the message in verse 1, was that these people want to go off and dilly-dally and worship their God and do what they say they're going to do out there. And he's convinced, Pharaoh's convinced, that the issue is that they're lazy. In other words, we're not working you hard enough. We're going to find out later that he says, you know what, the answer to that is let's work you so hard that you won't have any concern for worshiping your God. You'll be too busy. And that's really what he begins to put into place here. And so the Pharaoh had incredible disdain for the people. Verse 9, Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. What are those lying words? The lying words are that they want to go and offer sacrifice to their God. He says they won't, they won't pay any attention to those lying words if we work them hard enough. And so Pharaoh's not only opposing the message of God but in, in, verbally, but he's also in action seeking to press out this desire of God's people to worship their God. Now, let me back up and say just a moment that um, God's people were asking for deliverance. They weren't asking for all of this, were they? I mean, they, they wanted to be released from their bondage and their slavery. And God says to Aaron and Moses in, in the chapter 4, I'm going to release you from your bondage and slavery. Not all, but, but you see that that's all they thought was their problem. They thought their problem was that if they could just get out from under Egypt and be released from the bondage and slavery, my life would be great. And God says, no, I'm not only going to release you. God's going to say, he says, I'm not only going to release you, get you out from under the bondage and slavery of Egypt, but my desire is that you will be able to meet with me. God says, my aim is greater than what your aim is. They just wanted to be delivered. God wanted them to meet with him. And as God begins, begins working, and as the word of God begins working in their lives, they're saying, hold on, wait a minute. 
the, the thing that we wanted was to be delivered. This whole sacrifice thing wasn't what God's people ever said they wanted. Nowhere earlier in Exodus does God's people say, please deliver us so we can go and worship you, God. No, they say, please deliver us, period. That's it. That's what we want. God says, no, my desire is greater than that, brothers and sisters, for you. God doesn't just want to release you from your guilt and sorrow and pain and struggle that you're convinced is weighing you down in your life. If you, you think, if the Lord would just deliver me from this thing that's going on in my life, from this circumstance, from this situation, then oh, everything will be wonderful. And God's saying, yes, I'll be glad to deliver you, but I'm wanting to deliver you so that you'll be with me and worship me and honor me and devote your all in all to me. Because the issue here is not that God's trying to take him, just take his people out from under all slavery. Read Exodus. God's saying, I'm wanting to transfer your slavery. Transfer it from the Egyptians, the harsh, cruel Egyptian rule, to my rule, my, my reign. God's saying, I want you to be under my authority, not theirs. And so it's not a freedom for freedom's sake. It's an adoration that God is after. Number two. Number two. The taskmaster's demand. The Pharaoh's disdain, seen in verses 1 through 9. Let's look now at the taskmaster's demand. Verses 10 through 14, we see this. We actually see both of them here in verse 10, but we'll see as we look through verses 10 through 14 that it's really the taskmasters that are working here. So the taskmaster's in the form, and now they've gotten this command in verse 6 from the Pharaoh. The taskmaster's in the form, and of the people went out, And said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. And the people, which are the people that were um, the taskmasters and the foremen were speaking to, were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And now notice this, verse 14, And the foreman, follow this, of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had been set over them, the foreman, they were beaten, and they were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So do you see here the the authority kind of trickling down here? The taskmasters end up beating the foremen. Why? Because the foremen aren't getting the work out of the people that is demanded of them. The taskmasters were very demanding. Notice what it says. In our passage, it says the taskmasters, verse 13, were urgent and said, complete your task or complete your work and your daily task each day as when there was no straw. This task is impossible. Would you notice as well in verse 10, the contrast? The contrast. The contrast between verse 1 where the Lord says, thus says the Lord, And then in verse 10, where the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. You see, that's really really where we've got to make a decision. That's the point where we've got to decide, as God's people, as the people of God here had to decide, are we going to listen to God when he says, thus saith the Lord? Or are we going to listen to the world with all of its authority when it says, thus saith us, which one are we going to listen to? Which, are we going to? which one are we going to allow to have the influence in our life? Because, brothers and sisters, in the same way that God's people during this day had thus saith the Lord, they also had thus saith everything else that the world was saying, and they had to make a decision on which one they were going to follow. Which one were they going to pursue? Which one were they going to believe pretty demanding wasn't it but what's amazing to me as I look at this passage and as I was reflecting on it this week thus saith Pharaoh 
I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Verse 12 should make us weep. The people, these are the people of God. They were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble and straw. Let me, I pray that God will convince you of this. If you listen to thus saith the Lord, you're able to turn your life and your heart to wonderful, glorious God of heaven and worship and honor him in all of his splendor and joy. You're able to bring to him this feast. You're able to, you're able to revel in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. You're able to live with a, with a eternal and an infinite joy and hope and love. Your life will be filled of things that are large and that is of God and all that he is for you. Thus saith the Lord, come to God through the person of Jesus Christ and you will be able to be a slave to the one who created and made you and you'll be able to revel in all the glories of God. Or you can listen to thus saith the world and spend your lives scattered all over this world with the emphasis of gathering straw. What foolishness, brothers and sisters. What worthlessness it is that we listen to the world and its promises and we are just like these people who scatter our lives all over every endless days, worrying and complaining and struggling in our hearts. Why? Because we're concerned about straw. Worthless stuff. Stuff that will burn up and be nothing. And we're willing to listen to the thus saith the Pharaoh and go after that foolishness. I pray that your eyes will be open to see that God wants you to hear his word and he is good. Pharaoh is evil. Pharaoh is the one who is placing the bondage and the hardship and the harshness upon God's people. And they're Running around, gathering straw. It says even in verse 12, it says that they're not even able to find straw. You know what they're finding? They're finding stubble for straw. That's the word for chaff. They're not even finding straw. And they become, they become that. They live their lives looking for the straw. The world will make you do that. The world will demand that you live for their gods their money, their possessions, their things, their stuff, all of which is far less glorious than what God desires to give to us. Brothers and sisters, would your eyes be open that you can see that God is good and that the promises of the world, all they're going to say is complete your work. The world's going to say your daily task each day as when there was straw. Keep working harder and you can succeed. You can have it. You can possess all this happiness and joy. And you and I both know sitting here this morning, it's a lie. It's a lie. They were beaten for this. The foremen, which were the Hebrews, leaders, says in verse 14, and the, and the foremen of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all the task of making bricks today and yesterday as, the, as in the past? Is it true that the world will always ask more of you? No matter how much you do, it's going to demand you to, be, to do more and to be better and to keep striving, to keep going. And they're going to use you up. And it won't matter when it's all said and done. God isn't desiring this for his people. He's wanting to deliver them. So what do the foremen do? Point number three. The foremen have a defense. They realize that the taskmasters are beating them and insisting on them doing things that they're unable to do by continuing in their daily task and completing their work and producing the amount of bricks that they had even before they had, or uh, now that they have to gather their own straw. 
And so the foremen do what only they know how to do, and somehow, some way, text doesn't give us how they do this, or even if this was a difficult task or not, but the text tells us that in verse 15, the foremen were able to find a hearing with the Pharaoh, which is pretty amazing. Verse 15, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is not our own. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You see, the Pharaoh is, keeps bringing this back. It, the, the, the Hebrew people don't. <laughs> they're not the ones that are saying, please let us go so we can worship our God. That's not what they're saying. It's the Pharaoh who has this in his head. And he's saying, you're idle. You're idle. That is why you're saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. Turn with me just for a moment, a couple pages back to chapter 2 of Exodus. Chapter 2, verse 30, or 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. Here's, here's how the Lord, our God, responds to his people's cry. Verse 23, during those, day, those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Remember we talked about the fact that's a an intimate knowing. Turn with you, if you will, chapter 3, verse 7, just a little bit further down. Chapter 3, verse 7, I thought was an interesting passage, specifically of them crying out to God. It says this in verse 7 of chapter 3, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. Why? Because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. This is the context of the burning bush where God is calling Moses to go and deliver God's people. Isn't it sad that now what we find in verse 15 is that the foremen, which are the Hebrews, are the people, the foremen of the people of Israel. They came and what did they do? They cried out to Pharaoh. They don't go cry out to God. They don't go to their God who said they would del- he would deliver them. He's the one who's supposed to be doing this very work. No, they're convinced that their deliverer, the one that's going to give them relief, is the one they're going to go to. Every time in our lives, brothers and sisters, we go to the one that we believe is going to give us the relief the quickest. We're going to call the person on our phone that's going to relieve that in our hearts. We, we, we need to be going to God, crying out to Him, asking Him to deliver us and to bring us near. Here, the foreman Cry out to Pharaoh. And notice three times, it's, it's evident in the text, when you read it, you can hear the rhythm here. In, in verse 15, and you, can, you can hear the same thing in, as you read it. It's almost, it's almost like it's underlined in the original text. Listen as I read of what they're calling themselves. He cried out to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants Verse 16, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is not your, but the fault is in your own people. How easy it is, wouldn't you say? Last week, I'm not talking about our lives in general. I'm talking about last week, maybe just a few days ago. How easy it is to change and to alter our allegiance and our devotion. Yes, even abandon our very identity as God's people when we are pressured by the world and pressed by their temporary mockings in our workplace, when they hold before us money and jobs and status, we will quickly cry out to them, and say that we're their servants. 
Let's be careful, brothers and sisters. It was not a light thing that God was calling his people to worship him, to honor him with their lives. After the foreman had finished with this unproductive meeting, obviously anyone would say that this business meeting went south. It didn't happen as they desired it to happen. And what we find is that near the end here, um, verse 18, Go now and work, Pharaoh says. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people, verse 19, of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So here the foremen are saying, you know what? We're going that there's there's no way we can do what they're asking us to do. And we've we've gone to our taskmasters and they've beaten us. We've gone to the Pharaoh himself and he says, There's no equivocation. We're going to stand our ground. And what does the foreman say? And what do they understand it to be, not only for them, but also for all the Hebrews? They said, We're in trouble. We're in big, big trouble. So, what should we do? Well, let's kill the messenger. (laughs) First things first, let's go after the one who's making all this trouble for us. Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. So somehow Aaron and Moses were just outside the door of this meeting that they were having, the foremen were having. And they, the foremen, said to them, Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge. This is not, this is, not, this, this is contempt. This is, this is they, are, they are vehemently angry at what Moses and Aaron has done to them. Now, if you don't believe me, continue to read and listen. The Lord look on you with and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, Moses, you've made things worse, not better. We were better off without you. We're better off without this message of deliverance from God. The foreman, the foreman did not want to have anything to do with this message from God at this point. They wanted it to go away. They wanted Aaron and Moses to remove themselves. They wanted to get back to normal. Isn't it amazing that more than likely, these are the same foreman If they were Hebrews, then more than likely they could have very likely have been, at the end of chapter 4, the very ones who believed in God and worshipped his name. And now they're cursing the name of Moses and Aaron, hating everything they're about. Moses, and it's interesting to me as well, just kind of thinking about this, Moses isn't the one that, Moses isn't just one that's, that's, um, that, that's kind of pops up in this story. He's the one that wrote this story. And so he's writing this about what he saw and his events that he went through and the things that he was struggling with. It's amazing that he paints himself in this way. And he says, you know, when we went to Egypt, everything was great. And we had the Hebrews that were on our side and they were worshiping God and everything was great. And in chapter 5, and right after that, we went to the Pharaoh and everything went south from there. And they wanted my life again. But instead of Moses running like he did last time, remember last time that he was in this predicament where they wanted his life, he ran. This time he has the word of the Lord on his side, though. And so instead of running for his life, what does he do in, in, uh, in verse 22? This is point number four, Moses' dismay. Then Moses turned to the Lord. That's a good thing. That's where he should have turned. That's where he should have turned his heart. He turned to the Lord and said, some translations make it sound like he went somewhere, like he went back to the, mount, about, to, um, to the mountain where he was at the burning bush and did it. We, we, we can't figure out exactly, but we do know that he did go to speak with the Lord. And he went, says, turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? 
Good questions, aren't they? They're accusations, yes, there's no doubt about it. But they're questions that I think any of us would ask if we were in these circumstances. Lord, I never knew you were going to make things worse, not better. Why did you do this evil? These, there, there's, our people now are being beaten. There's a situation where God's people were being treated harshly. They were, had incredible slavery. They were being pressed on every side. And now that's only accentuated. That's only made more now, Lord. There's this evil now that is upon us. Why did you send me? Verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, you see what Moses is doing there? He sounds like Eve, doesn't he? This is, this is your fault, God. You're the one that put the woman here in the garden with me, right? Moses said, Lord, this is your fault. You're the one that told me to go speak to Pharaoh. Now, for some reason, Moses forgets that God himself said, I'm going to harden his heart and he's not going to listen. It's amazing what we do forget in way of what the Lord tells us. And this is the point, I think, of the passage, and that is this, is that has the Lord promised any of you ease and comfort and a wonderful life with no bumps and struggles, specifically as a Christian? No, he, he actually said in his Bible just the opposite. And then when struggles and sufferings come, it surprises us like it did in the, in the first Peter among the, those who were Christians in first Peter. And he says, do not let these trials and fiery ordeals surprise you. Because they never were supposed to surprise us. This, this hardship and difficulty is because you are a believer. It's because you're trying to follow Christ. And if you choose to veer, or you do know that the struggles that we have as those who are trying to follow Christ and worship Him faithfully and give ourselves to Lord's Day even, just, just basically just give ourselves to Lord's Day, you know the world doesn't like that. They're going to push us on every side, and they're wanting us to give... And to say, you know what, Lord's Day is, is really important, but it's, it's just important kind of in line with everything else that I have going on. And when they push us, and it becomes hard, and we have to say no to the world, and even to our families, we go back to God as fathers, and we say, Lord, why is this evil happening to me? I'm trying to be a good husband, I'm trying to be a good father. It's better that you never even gave me to them. You know, when we speak in God's name, it becomes difficult. And Moses here says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak to speak in your name, he has done evil. He has done evil to this people. He's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is saying it was better before you began to speak. We were better off without your word, Lord. This morning, I want us to know, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is not evil. But he's good. And though our lives may, be, may very well be difficult... And because we seek the Lord and seek to be faithful to him who is the one true God, Jesus Christ our Lord, we can know that though our deliverance may not be felt or seen today, our God has not left us and he is working our deliverance. God's timing and his ways are never our timing and it's never our ways. We must turn, we must not turn and accuse our God of doing evil, but instead trust in his goodness. The word of God calls us to be fully submitted to the Lord in our culture and among our bosses and friends and family and others who simply do not and will not understand that worship is our primary aim. Our primary devotion and singular aim in all of our life is that we may turn our hearts to worship our God. Now, we want just deliverance right and we think that the worship thing is just something that kind of gets tagged on it's kind of my responsibility i've got to do this because god said he'd do that no the worship is the joy it's 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 the it's the treasure it's the opportunity we have to gather together as his people to interact with one another you know 
This is, this is Christ among us. We're living. Christ says, Christ says, this is my body, my people. Your life would be easier without us. The people that are sitting around you make your life harder. And that's good. Because what God is trying to do isn't just make your life comfortable. He's trying to deliver you from the from the slavery and bondage that you've put yourself in, the times when you've listened to the world that said, thus saith us, and you've believed them, and you're, and you're wandering around moping to get straw. And God says, you can have me. We see that this call to worship the one true God, the Lord, did not just make things inconvenient. It caused his people to really sacrifice. The word of God caused God's people to go from bitter lives and hard service and ruthless slavery that we see in Exodus chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 to more bitter lives, to harder service and the more ruthless treatment. All for the sake of being able to worship. Is worship that valuable to us? Do we have that kind of priority in our own lives? It seems that God thinks that worship is worth this kind of sacrifice. Because Jesus deserves our absolute devotion and our full worship. What else can a verse like this mean? Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This cannot mean, that verse cannot mean, add Jesus to your already busy and really comfortable lifestyle and your personal preferences. That cannot be what that verse means. God is calling us to devotion, and it's going to be difficult. And just like Moses that's now in verses 22 and 23, to the degree that he was like a father that was looking on his children who were worshiping God in the sand and saying, what a wonderful thing. He loved the Hebrews and the Jewish people. And he was saying, this is, this is a beautiful and wonderful thing. They're worshiping God. Isn't this wonderful? This was the highlight of his life. Now at the end of chapter 5, it couldn't be worse. How hard is it, moms and dads, to see your loved ones suffer and struggle and go through difficulty? And there's nothing you can do about it. And yet, the only thing you can do is trust that God's doing something in the middle of it. It's heart-wrenching. Moses is at that point. Why is all this horrible stuff happening to the people I love that, I, that all I want is that they be delivered? And God says, yep, I know that's all you want. But they need to worship me. They need me to come and meet with me. The latter half of Exodus is all about God's people coming and meeting with him. Chapter 19 of Matthew. Chapter 19 of Matthew is when the Gospel of Matthew turns from Jesus doing all the miracles and and wowing all the people, and he had this great following. Chapter 19 is when he begins. It says at the beginning of chapter 19 that he starts turning toward Jerusalem. What is he going to do in Jerusalem? The people that follow him to Jerusalem are not the same people that were eating with him on on the hill. Not all of them. People started dropping off significantly from Matthew 19 to Matthew 26 when he was in the upper room and said, eat this bread, drink this cup. Because when he gave them that bread and when he gave them that cup, he knew what that meant. He explained it to them. This is my body. This is my blood. I'm going to the cross. Following Christ, Jesus was very clear that following Christ meant Sacrifice meant difficulty. It meant that if you lived without Christ, your life would be easier. You can have your own way and do your own thing, but following Christ means that he is Lord and he orders the things in our life. With man, this is impossible, brothers and sisters. But with God, all things are possible. I pray that this morning as we come to the Lord's table and that you take this bread and you take this cup you affirm again that though this life may be difficult with Christ, it is worth it because he is good. And that you will reaffirm in your own heart as you, as you take that bread and you take that cup and you, and you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're reminded that the greatest sacrifice that was made isn't the one that you're making in your life. It was the one that Christ made on your behalf. 
And that because Christ went to the cross and bore the wrath of God on your behalf, you no longer, the difficulties that you're having here is the extent of the hardship. Everything is good from this point forward. When we go and meet with our God in glory, we will be what? With Him. Which is what He wanted His people to be here, right? That's what He kept harping on. That's what the Pharaoh kept saying. You keep wanting to go out and be with your God. That's exactly what God wants of us. That's exactly what it says in Matthew 26 when he says, and one day you'll be, you'll eat this with me in my Father's kingdom. That's what God wants for us. Or you can continue to live your lives wandering around for straw. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, confess your sin, you're regenerate, then you're welcome to the table this morning. If you are living in any habitual or treasured sin, I would encourage you not to come to the Lord's table, to examine yourself, and to repent of that, and to make that right if you desire to come to the Lord's table this morning. If you're responsible, seeking to live faithfully in a body of believers, being accountable to them and them being accountable to you, and if you're reconciled, making right the relationships of those who are around you, those specifically who are in your congregation, and you've reconciled and made those relationships right, that you may know him, you may come to the Lord's table this morning. This time we're going to, be, we're going to have our prayer of thanksgiving. We're going, to give, um, we're going to have our prayer and then give our, our offering, take up our offering, and then after that we'll be coming to the table um, for the Lord's table together. All right? Who is it that's supposed to pray? Mr. Phil, come and pray for us, brother.